0: You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple Biff Klobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo pay Hi, Bobo. How you doing, man? All right. What's going on, Cliff. I've got a great guest for you. Thanks for letting me take the reins on this one. And this is a timely episode as well. Do you remember a few months ago when we were interviewing John Kirk? I think it was episode 43. And in the middle of everything, I had to kind of get up and get out the door for some Bigfoot reason I couldn't tell you about.
2: Uh, I do remember that you were very vague about it afterwards.
0: Yeah, I was kind of told not to say anything about it until they could take the lid off of things. Well, this is that follow-up episode right now. I get to tell you all about it, but uh, you don't have to listen to me. You can listen directly from the guy who called me into that situation, Shane Corson from the Olympic Project. As it turns out, at that time... Uh, That very day, some very interesting and very exciting developments came out of the nest site that the Olympic Project had been studying for so long. And for our listeners out there, if you want to hear uh, the background on this situation, you can listen to episode 34 of Bigfoot and Beyond when our guest was Shane Corson of the Olympic Project. But brand new stuff has come out of there in the last couple months, and Shane was kind enough to call me in uh, to kind of check out the situation and give my two cents, and that's why I had to leave like at 10.30 at night or whenever that was to go up to the Olympic Peninsula because the rain was coming the next day and there were, there were impressions in the ground that needed to be cast. So Bobo, do me a favor and welcome back your old friend, Shane Corson. Yeah, Shane, what's up, bud?
1: Thanks for coming on board. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Good talking with you. All right, Cliff, you, you said you're taking the rage. Now give him the spurs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, Shane, the, the stuff that's been coming out of the Nest site this, these past few months is just so exciting because it's so fresh. Um, so I'm going to pass it over to you. Tell us, um, Bobo and I and the audience, the, the circumstances that led to those dramatic events at the end of February.
1: Yeah, you bet. And, and it's, uh, it's exciting stuff, at least in, 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 uh, my, my train of thought here. Um, so back, uh, back in January and early February, Derek Randall's, uh, Derek Randall's and myself, of course, Derek's, um, Limp Project, uh, creator. And, uh, he's, you know, one of my best friends and partner. We, we get out a lot. We decided to look at a different ravine that was adjacent to the original nest area that we had been studying since about 2016. And Derek Randall's had picked out this one particular location uh, in, a, in a different area, adjacent ravine um, in, quite, in all likelihood. It's just, it's very in close in proximity, a couple of thousand feet away from the original ravine nest site. But it's an area we, we kind of skipped around. We really didn't look at it that hard. And uh, Derek got a spur to go, hey, let's go and check out this this new area. This new, um, It looks appealing. So we head off out to this area and get on our get our hike on and uh, with plans just to check out the ravine, see if there's any it's got the same characteristics as the original nest site and just do some exploring, see what we could find. And uh so we we actually head out that way, we make it to the ravine and we start scouring, kind of doing like a grid pattern and you know, just searching for whatever, just trying to see if it's viable for old nest, new nest. Long story short there uh, we spent the majority of it one day kind of reviewing this ravine and we did come across some possible old nests. And by old, I mean, they're three or four years older in appearance than the original nest site, uh, the original find. So we weren't quite sure like, well, that kind of looks like, uh, old nests. They're out of, Huck- they're made out of huckleberry. They had the same kind of features. They were along finger ridges or, or uh, plateaus and they're right above a salmon creek, the same salmon creek. And so we got a little got a little, jazz, a little excited, thinking we may be on to something here. So we did some more scouring and found some, some other possible uh, uh, nests uh, in appearance. But he, once again, it was really hard to tell because they were so old. But we thought, well, these are the closest thing we found in the last, say, four years. And they were very, just like I said, they had the same kind of characteristics, but much older. And they were, you know, di- dilapidated and all that stuff. So... Uh, we we called it a day with plans to come back out and explore that area some more. Well, uh, that was the that was the beginning of February. Fast forward to February 21st, my uh, another Olympic project member, and you guys know him well, Todd Hale, came out with me to uh, do some exploring, and we were going to do some camping. We hadn't quite picked out a camping spot. We looked at two or three different camp spots and decided to. Um, my call was to go back to where Derek and I had done some hiking and camp in that general area, the, the, this new ravine we were searching. I was very eager to show Todd this new ravine that we haven't searched, uh, hadn't searched in the past other than what uh, Derek and I had done uh, two weeks prior. And I wanted to show him this new ravine in the setup. So we take, we take Todd Hale out there. And uh, before we set up camp, we got there in, in the evening. I think we got out there about two, kind of hung around. We were going to set up camp and we decided, you know what, let's go, let's go take a quick hike out to that new ravine. Cause we were camping several hundred yards away from there. So, um, I'm heading out there with Todd Hale. Oh, let me back up real quick. I, I went on a little walk and while I was out there. I heard what I, what I consider to be a whoop. And I wasn't hundred percent sure what it was, but it sounded very uh, classic whoop sound. Um, hundred, 150 yards away. So I go back and I meet up with Todd and I say, Hey, let's, let's get our hike on. I heard what sounded like a whoop. So we, um, you know, listening, we had our recorders going and stuff. Didn't hear anything on the way out there, but we're hiking out to this ravine. And I wanted to just get down to the ravine, show it to him, and head back to camp so we could set up our tents and stuff. I wanted to get out there before it got dark. You know, it would start getting dark about six-ish, somewhere around there. So I wanted to get back and set up camp. We uh, do a quick hike out through this area. And I shouldn't say quick because the huckleberry in this area is very reminiscent of the old, uh, the original nest site. It's uh, the huckleberry is over nine feet tall in some, in some areas. It's definitely over our head six to nine feet tall. It's very thick. There's no trails. So we're going through the huckleberry and um, I'm trying to make my way just beeline it right to the ravine. And I didn't, we did not take the same path that Derek Randall's and I had taken two weeks prior. We took a completely different path. I was trying to cut it short and we're getting close to the ravine. And um, though I can't see it, I can tell we're getting close. And I see a little, a little bit of a, downhill area and off to my right I can see what looks like a finger so I start going down into this and I hear Todd behind me he ate it he mean he fell over and goes oh shoot man I just I fell over I'm about two or three feet away from him going down into this little downhill area before I I reach uh, it's not quite going down into the ravine but it's it's going that direction and off to the right is a a finger or a plateau and I hear some large sticks breaking I mean, very large, six break, and I told Todd, I said, shut up, shut up. There's something, something over here, and it's big. And as I'm listening, Todd starts to hear it, too, and it's moving, and it sounded originally like it was approaching us. you got to understand, and I know, Cliff, you will get into this. You've been in this area. I couldn't see very far in front of me, uh, at least not from that distance with all the, the brush and the, the pine trees and the cedars and the huckleberry and the salal. I couldn't see that far, but it sounded like it was approaching us. And I'm thinking bear. Right off the bat, I'm thinking bear. So I draw my weapon. He draws. Uh, Todd draws his weapon. And then this thing, you'd still hear the sticks breaking. It starts going down the hill and away from us. And I'm thinking, wow, this thing is massive. It's big. It's You know, I couldn't tell if it was stepping on the, these limbs or sticks or if it was snapping them off of stuff. So it starts going downhill away from us. I'm thinking, okay, okay. And we're Todd and I are just kind of whispering back and forth, trying to get a game plan. Uh, you know, if it's a bear, you know, what are we going to do, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it got kind of quiet. We're kind of just uh, looking around to see if we can see movement, see what uh, was possibly approaching us and now what's backing off. Well, as we're sitting there or standing there contemplating this whole scenario and the sticks are breaking, I didn't hear any vocals, didn't smell anything, nothing like that. We start hearing something moving up behind our position. And that's when I thought, shoot, we're in the lower, we're in, a, we're kind of in a draw. We're in a lower uh, area. Um, this thing's got the advantage, whatever it is, let's backtrack, get up on the higher ground. So we backtracked on the higher ground the whole time when you hear this thing moving, trying to make its way, almost like it's trying to make its way up behind us and that time was probably at our, our nine o'clock. And so Um, We listened for a while. We probably stood there five minutes being really quiet. Then we decided to make our way towards it to see if we could get a glimpse. And uh, we ended up um, in an area where we later found something, and we'll get to that in a little bit, uh, kind of a a tunnel that leads down the hill. And we, we looked around, didn't see anything. So Todd and I discussed it, and we said, hey, let's go back to where we originally heard this thing. And so we made our way back around down into the draw making our way back up to this this finger along this ridge or this plateau. And we start going up there, and I start seeing what looks like a lot of movement in this area. The salal on the ground looked like somebody had taken a weed eater through it. And I could see a couple of large logs on the ground that something large had stepped on. They were um, very flat. Yeah, There was two of them very flat. And we start going along this trail and up onto... This uh, this uh, plateau where this thing was originally, and I'm looking at this trail, going, "Oh my gosh, this is a uh, something's been moving through here a lot and plucking and stuff." And then there's another uh, log up there that had been flattened by something stepping on it, uh, whether it was multiple times or the once, I had no idea. It was it was a you know the rotten log, so I, I wasn't too enthralled with it, but it looked interesting. And as I'm looking at this area, making sure there's nothing else in this area, my eyes I, my eyes are rising to look up from the ground, from the salal on the ground, to start looking at the huckleberry in the surrounding area. And this day was was kind of a semi-sunny day. The sun was kind of coming through the trees. And as I'm peering up, I see huckleberry, all the huckleberry in this area, freshly snapped off. All the huckleberry tips freshly snapped off. A couple feet off the ground to, you know, six, seven, eight feet off the ground. And I went, oh my gosh, this, this looks exactly like the original uh, nest area that was discovered back in 2000, the latter part of 2016, I mean, to a T. And then the wheel started spinning in my head. Um, Okay, what is going on here? You know, did we just discover something? Now, at this time, yes, I had, I was thinking this, this could possibly be, we may have encountered a Sasquatch. You know, I didn't, um, wasn't my first thought to begin with, bear, but when I started seeing all this stuff going on, the, the sheer size of this thing that was moving down below us, you know, it did, you know, I was trying to see, is this a quadruped? Is it a biped? It was very hard to make out. It sounded more bipedal than quadruped, especially with its slow movements. You know, I've encountered lots of bear, and usually the bear will just take off. You know, they rarely stick around. They'll take off, and they'll take the quickest route out. This thing moves. Way more methodically, uh, in my opinion, and uh, Todd Hill's opinion as well, way more methodically to the point where it it eventually, uh, we believe, circled up around pretty much behind us. Uh, But back to the plateau of the nest area. So we're looking around. We're seeing all these breaks and um, significant breaks, twists. I'm seeing the little piles of huckleberry in certain areas on the ground. And um, I got a little bit uncomfortable. And I said, Todd, let's, let's, uh, because it's going to get dark soon, I want to set up camp. I want to get a hold of Derek, Derek Randles, and get his butt out here. Let's not explore anything. Let's not touch anything. Let's get a game plan. Let's come back out here early tomorrow morning. And so we decided to do that without really looking around anymore. Uh, we go back to, uh, we make our way finally back to camp. I get on the phone with Derek because I got, could get some reception and set up our camp. And that was that evening um, with Todd Hale. Now the following day, Derek Randles comes out. And he brings his uh, wife, Tori, with him, who's uh, been on many of our excursions, well-versed in the woods, and Todd Hale and myself and all four of us head out, back out to this uh, nest area. Uh, we got a little bit turned around because at the time we didn't take any GPS. Uh, and so when I, we originally went in, there was just a straight shot. Todd Hale and I literally walked in on something, doing what it was doing at the time. We, it wasn't um, planned. <laughs> it just happened. So we eventually, you know, the following day, we make our way out there, and we're looking around. We finally find the site, the actual location, make our way in there. Um, Derek starts noticing the same things I was noticing, the, the trail being used leading up to this plateau, the logs that looked like something had been uh, had stepped on him. And we get up there, and Derek was uh, pretty flabbergasted. He started noticing right away the huckleberry breaks, and he went, oh, my gosh. So we decided to go a little bit further into this area, a few feet more, and that's when we really started to notice the little piles of huckleberry branches here and there, the huckleberry breaks um, from all different sizes and all different heights. And then we discover on the ground, um, once we made our way in there, a huge pile, I mean just a ginormous pile of huckleberry uh, boughs and limbs on the ground with some salal mixed in there as well which is different from the original nest site. It was purely huckleberry limbs. This one had a little bit of huckleberry, which is the ground cover up here in Pacific Northwest, uh, intertwined with this pile of huckleberry. And the size of this huckleberry pile was just ginormous. And you could see where some of the limbs had come from when looking around this area. So we instantly knew in our heads that we most likely, we came across a, a newer nest, a newer nest in the making. And we literally broke up, um, disturbed and, you know, this, whatever was making this nest. And we were, you know, even then we were pretty confident, um, that we discovered a new nest site in the making and that it was most likely Sasquatch. Um, so, uh, of course, uh, we started looking around and we really still didn't want to touch anything at this time. You know, we found there was a weird burrow in the back that a lot of Huckleberry would be kind of like pushed up against. You could barely see the the rim of this um, cubby hole in a tree, a uh, fallen tree. You could see a lot of flat, flattened area, but no real impressions to speak of. We were kind of looking, but not wanting to touch anything. Our goal at that time was we, we figured we found something very significant. We didn't want to touch it or mess it up. Didn't, you know We didn't want to make that mistake. We thought, shoot, let's, get, let's make some phone calls and let's leave this, see if this thing comes back and make some phone calls. So we, we actually left it, left the area, did a little more exploring, but not that much. We kind of just wanted to leave the area, not mess with it too much, even though our scent would be in the area. We, we figured maybe something would come back, and we, we backtracked out of there. We um, eventually, with the, with the hopes of getting a hold of Dr. Meldrum and, of course, Euclid, uh, we, a few days later, on the uh, Monday, the 24th, we brought James Millian out to this area, and we, we showed, we, you know, James Millian's a Limp Project member as well, seasoned veteran, uh, great outdoorsman and hunter, he uh, he came out to help. He just wanted. He was curious about this site, so we brought him out to the site. Didn't look like anything new had traversed through this area, and we decided to kind of scour and look around, just see if we could find any any other nests or any sign of movement. And we kind of all kind of separated. Derek and I kind of stuck together. James went off exploring. Um, I, I told him basically where Todd Hale and I had heard this thing. Uh, when Todd Hale and I had been out in this area originally, where we had heard this thing move, and so uh, James Milling decided to go check out, see if we could find any tracks or a route this thing took. And about forty-five minutes passed, and James Milling comes back up uh, while Derek and I are in the kind of exploring this this new plateau, uh, and he comes, "Hey, I found something of interest. You guys might want to check this out. I think it's a hand impression." And we're like, "What hand impression?" yeah, come check it out and tell me, tell me what you guys think. I think there's two of them. Uh, let me know what you guys think. So we go back. We start making our way back to this area. And realizing that Todd, Hale, and I had stood right in the very spot, this trail where we we're going to go down into this burrow or this um, tunnel. We went through this tunnel down the hill, very steep decline. And uh, like I said before, not realizing that that's exactly where Todd, Hale, and I had stood where we thought this thing was down on the slope. So we make our way down there and there's a little bit of a game trail as you get down this slope. And as we approach the slope, I see a, a large phone, um old log on you know, very large log on the hill just above this game trail. And James walks over and he goes, Check this out. And so we're looking at it and it looked like a, a really awesome left hand of something. Uh, definitely a hand impression. And to the right of it was another what appeared to be another hand impression in like um litter, um, debris on the the side of this slope, uh, pointing upwards, the hands would have been, you know, the fingers would have been pointing upwards, palms down. Uh, The second one, the the right hand was in a bunch of, you know, pine needle litter. So you could see what looked like fingers being pressed into it. So we got excited, you know, once again, we're like, wow, this is exactly where I think this thing would have been before it went up the hill. And there was another game trail going up the hill. So that was, that was exciting for us. Uh, We decided now to not touch it, not cast it. We're thinking maybe we can get some soil samples. Since it's so fresh, we can get some soil samples from one of these hand impressions to get some eDNA work done on them. And so we get a hold of Dr. Meldrum. We all all take off out of there. We get a hold of Dr. Meldrum. And with plans of him coming out, we're going to have him come out. And he was all ready to come out, fly out from Idaho, and uh, help us take some samples. Um, I was in. The, I was getting a hold of some other uh, individuals to you know to help uh, assist us. Uh, some more academic individuals. You know, we did the legwork. Now we wanted somebody to come in there and and uh, do the the science to it. I, I really wanted no part in that. <laughs> so uh, while we're working on that, uh, guess what happens? This whole pandemic, the whole uh, COVID thing, takes off. Uh, it, right now, it started picking up, and um, by the time You know, Dr. Meldrum was really seriously about to get on a plane, get his flight. We pulled the plug on it because we didn't want to take any chances. We didn't want him flying, getting sick, bring it to anybody if that was the case. This find was an awesome find, but at the worst of times because of this whole pandemic, it really screwed up a lot of things. But um, fast forward, we decided not to have Meldrum come out, and we decided to get a hold of you, Cliff. Um, Obviously, I talked to you prior uh, I talked to you much prior to all a lot of this stuff transpiring, but because I wanted your input and I wanted to keep you updated, since you've been out to the nest area before and helped to, uh, you know, explore and, uh, you know, take samples and all that stuff, you came out and helped facilitate the, the casting of the hand impression.
0: Yeah, it was beautiful. I mean, uh, the, the photographs, first of all, showed uh, a clear hand impression with a wonky thumb on it. And of course that's what the, one of the things you look for um, a wonky thumb. I wasn't sure about the size or anything when I first saw the impression, the photograph of it. But when I got out to the site, It wasn't a huge hand. It wasn't like, you know, uh, eight or 12 inches across or something like that, but it's about 10 or maybe 15 or so percent larger than my own hand. But the thumb is in a very strange position that has the telltale positioning of it, you know, kind of going directly into the ground, more or less. It's a very, very interesting, beautiful impression. And of course, the other one, the right hand was kind of messy. I cast it anyway, because, you know, cast everything you can and then try to figure it out later, you know. But, uh, um, and of course, underneath that, underneath, because this was a very, very steep slope. It had to be at least 45 degrees. So mm-hmm. It was very steep. Um, underneath that, going down towards a river, I could see where something large had clearly made its way up the hill. I don't know how, from how far below, but the, the brush was broken and, you know, disturbed pretty heavily, leading right up to the spot. Um, Where it went after that, I couldn't tell. I tried to get above it a little bit and look around, but I couldn't make heads or tails of anything up there just because the area is so thick um, with, you know, huckleberry and everything, all the other plants growing there. And just kind of paint a picture of this area um, on the flatland or on the side of the slope. It doesn't really matter. You're looking at brush that goes between about four feet and about eight feet. So it's kind of like, you know, like kind of swimming through a fairly shallow pool where you're not sure what's around the corner at any given time. Not quite sure how many sharks are in that pool with you. You don't know what you're going to stumble upon when you come around any of these brush brush piles or bushes or anything like that. Um, It's kind of a sketchy area to walk around in. It is very, very cool though, for sure. Yeah, I made and, uh, two trips out there, of course, you know, because this, this is so important and I want to do some follow up and look around too. So,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, and then once we decided that, uh, you know, Derek and I had talked about this, once we decided that, uh, you know, getting soil samples in a timely fashion and trying to work with it with all this pandemic going around, we decided, let's just cast them. And uh, so you only got to cast the one the first time around on the 28th Well, I call you back up and said, you know, if you're interested, you come out and cast the second one. And, you went, you know, you pretty much jumped right on that and got, came out on the second and um, decided to cast the second one there and do some more exploring. Uh, and of course, uh, I was on the phone with Derek and the, we- we were about, the weather is about to change up in that area. And I had purchased a bunch of um, large Home Depot brown lawn sacks uh, just in case we wanted to collect any of the material on the ground. And we, I had gloves and all that with me. And I called Derek, Derek up and I said, you know, Cliff's out here casting a second hand impression i think we should just go in and and do some exploring maybe collect some of that material it's about to rain i wasn't sure if there could be some snow mix in there uh it's supposed to get windy uh, i just felt you know there's got to be some hair samples in there some other stuff let's collect that material nothing's come back to this area let's collect what we can can and explore and uh cliff that's what we we did right yeah i spent an entire day
0: doing it of course you know um uh, I cast the right hand print, which is very, very messy. And once we got into the, the actual site where the, the possible nest was, um, yeah, there, there were hair samples around, quite a few of them actually, um, from a, at a variety of heights, um, very often found on the, branch, the huckleberry branches that were broken themselves. And of course, uh, once we started looking around and collecting some of the nest stuff, the nest material that was on the ground, that's when we discovered footprints as well. The, and the and we didn't see them beforehand. At least I didn't see them beforehand mm-hmm. um, because they were underneath the nesting material, which I found fascinating. You know, like about a two or three four inch uh, layer, of, like on the outskirts of the of the big pile. It was thicker, I think, in the middle, but on the outskirts of it, it's about two inches or three inches of h- broken branches and huckleberry boughs and stuff. And when I started collecting some of the stuff from the outside area of the nest, um, there were there were. I found two, well, I initially found one, uh, footprint underneath the nest and then another about six or eight, 10 inches to the left of that one of the same foot, I might add. So whatever was standing there, breaking branches and making this thing shifted its foot around. And of course I, I also found another, uh, half track, not far away, probably about 10, not even, probably not even 10 yards away, honestly, mm-hmm. probably like five or eight yards away. Um, underneath another bow where we found some other hair samples
1: yeah yeah i mean that was i was I was floored when we started slowly collecting that material and bagging it up. Um, I was floored that there were you know foot impressions below this stuff i've never i, I don't know I just it blew my mind and got me more excited because I thought, well what else is below uh this nesting material or this you know these huckleberry bowels and stuff um, We didn't really find anything else clearing that area uh, until we got closer to that that kind of um, burrow in the tree, in the, the, the fallen log, and what looked like on the side of this soil, uh, kind of a ramped up pile where it had been dug out, looked to be like fingers, uh, maybe even, you know, I don't know exactly what, but it looked like fingers or maybe a partial hand impression. I know uh, you casted that as well, and that was in really close proximity to the, those two uh, foot impressions underneath the debris, and man, oh, what a yeah. pain in the butt that was casting.
0: Yeah, like like 10 feet away, like eight or 10 feet away, you know, because this whole nest situation, like the new one, um, it, it was underneath a fallen log. Actually, there were two logs, really. There was one log that was about four feet off the ground. And if you crawled underneath there, um, that's where the majority of the pile of Huckleberry was. Um, but if you went back just another two or three feet, there was another log that was actually resting on the ground. And it appeared that um, a burrow had been dug underneath it, and it's not a burrow like six or eight inches wide. This was about two and a half feet wide and about two feet tall, um, and uh, and it was filled with huckleberry. Huckleberry was underneath the log, inside this burrow, and there were tailings right there. Tailings, of course, are the the ground, the the soil, the substrate mm-hmm. that had been removed from the hole. So there was a pile about a foot high or so, foot and a half high. Um, right outside where this hole was and there were no huckleberries covering the tailing pile. Um, but there were impressions in there that looked all the world like finger marks, not a big handprint, but there were three or four finger marks, um, uh, in this. So where I'm, I think it's a safe hypothesis at this point that something was down in the ground and I'm, I think it was actually using its left arm to dig out stuff and then putting it in his pile and it left an impression uh, of its hand, um, inside that little cubby hole, as you called it earlier. Um, it, it reminded me of a bear den, frankly, you know, and, um, there were green huckleberry in there as well. Huckleberry branches inside there. It seemed pretty small, but then again, you know, animals like to get all cozy in their den. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, I kind of started wondering that, Hey, you know, this does look like a bear den, but clearly, I mean, we got, a, we got, you know, two, uh, we got a great handprint. Another handprint that doesn't look so great, but I know it is a handprint because of the location. And then these things that look like finger marks, and so far, three, you know, 14-inch or so footprints from this site. A Sasquatch was involved in this somehow, but this also looks like a bear den at the same time. And it, you know, so my 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 brain started clicking away and started wondering, like starting building some models, like could Sasquatches repurpose bear dens for their own use and that had never really occurred to me so far but it makes sense i mean sasquatches don't want to exert a bunch of energy if they don't have to maybe they do this sort of behavior and then again maybe it wasn't a bear den at all i don't know there's so many questions that this find is open now i'm not sure we'll ever get answers for very many of them but it is sure is fun to speculate
2: i mean that all animals in nature that take over housing for other animals that they create you know like burrows and nests and all sorts of things so of course, yeah, it makes total sense to utilize what was already made.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm of the opinion that that was definitely a, a bear bend at some point. Uh, the huckleberry, when we, I couldn't believe that the, the, the cubby hole that den, was really quite covered up with the huckleberry. It was kind of shoved in there, and then it was starting to pile up, almost like to cover it up. I don't know, but no doubt in my head that it was most likely a bear den at some point. And there was another to the left, on the other side of a, another fallen log, there was a really deep impression, um, kind of bowl-shaped, kind of like one of the original nest sites. We, uh, you know, Once you took apart one, you'd see this real deep, big bowl shape. Um, of course, this bowl in this new nest area, this new plateau, it didn't have any huckleberry around it, but I was wondering if that was going to be shaped into a nest at some point. Uh, another interesting thing was uh, Todd Hale did eventually make it back out to this area. And was uh, checking out area that none of us had traversed in, not too far away, uh, and found a, a, an impression that he casted. And it measured about, it looked rather impressive to me. It, looked, it was about 14 inches long. And um, I know the ones you cast, Cliff, uh, they were about, what, 14 or so? Yeah, they're right in there. They have 14 or so inches long. Huh. Yeah, so we have now, we have, you know, quite a few foot impressions in this area. And it made me think of, um, the, you know, Patty. You know Patty was a, a, about a size 14. And a female so I just got the wheels turning there as to po- you know, of course, hypothesizing, speculating, and, and and all that stuff. Just got me thinking about what may have been in that area, and then it got me thinking, why would it be in that area? What was it doing? And so uh, I just I was really fascinated with the size of the casts.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you know, this is one of those circumstances as well because I cast all three of the footprints that I found that day. I know Todd cast his. I haven't had a chance to see the cast yet. Um, but, uh, uh, so we got four prints out of there and three potential handprints, you know, one absolute hand, handprint, of course, it's beautiful, but the, um, the other ones, uh, are a little bit messier. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. Sonidos of our voices.
1: Sonidos of
0: our stories.
1: Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and
2: culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso
1: en Satellites, and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora.
0: You know the casts are so interesting, and, and uh, they're they're actually really blobby and hard to see what you're really looking at in the in the casts themselves. But this is one of those circumstances where the photographs of the impressions in the ground actually show more detail than the casts themselves do, and that happens as well. I encourage all Bigfoot researchers, of course, to cast everything they possibly can. But the uh, the first step is always to photograph the impressions in the ground, and this is why. Those, ca- those three casts that I pulled of the footprints, they don't show as much detail as the actual photographs do. Yeah, there's a hint of a toe and whatever else, but you can see it just as well in the photographs, oddly enough. You can almost see it better. The, the, you can certainly see the foot shape better in the photograph than you can in the cast. And that's partly because of uh, the shallowness of the impression and uh, the, 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 the ground was littered with leaves and whatnot because there's tons of loose huckleberry leaves everywhere all throughout the area. So, of course, anybody out there listening, always photograph the impressions from a variety of angles before you cast them. Because you don't know if the, the, the cast is going to show more information or if the footprint itself in the ground is going to show more information. So you got to do both. You just have to.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. And we, we took a lot of photographs. We took a lot of video so we really try to do our due diligence and capture everything from different angles and different lighting and stuff. So I, in, in clip, it was it was real, I was really stoked to have you out there because um, you got that that train of thought, that mindset to uh, not do anything harshly or quickly, and you came out and spent a lot of time out there. Um, so thank you again. Oh, well, I can't what? thank you enough, man. I mean, yeah, I'm just goosebumps even now thinking about it. One other thing, uh, I know we're going to get into, I think, some audio here, but. One other thing I wanted to mention I thought was also very fascinating when looking at the, I, I got bags of debris still in my garage to go through, but when we were first collecting it, one thing I noticed was a lot of the huckleberry um, stems and boughs had been completely stripped of leaves. There was, like you said, uh, in in the, the deeper part of the debris pile, the huckleberry debris pile, there was a lot, I mean, hundreds of loose leaves that were either, plucked off. I mean, I didn't see any signs of teeth marks, um, scratch marks. They looked like they were plucked off. I mean, just hundreds of them, uh, some in little piles and some spread out. I thought that was really fascinating because going back to the original uh, nest site back from 2016 that we've been studying, uh, all the huckleberry in that surrounding area that was not broken off, that was still stemming from the ground growing, they had been completely stripped of all their leaves. And of course, I think if you go back to uh, the episode I was on thirty-four, I think we kind of go into that. So, but I just thought it was the same sort of, same sort of find, same sort of scenario. And why would something pluck or nip these leaves off? Uh, just another, you know, those things that make you go, hmm. Yeah, so
0: much about this new site uh, echoes that of the old site. Like the, the direction of the valley is the same. It's actually on on a, on a west facing slope just like the other ones were which i think is interesting kind of have to wonder about that um you know it's not that far away from a um, a logging landing either i thought was interesting because this is logging land um and that there's a logging landing with even equipment on it you know probably five six hundred yards away or something like that from the site Uh, but it's really hard to get to of course yeah there's so many things that are similar about this location that the slope the the fact that this was found on a a flat part above a finger that leads down to the river. Um, and, of course, the construction is identical as well. We collected a lot of hair samples. Now, so far, the only hair that has come back is bare, which I find interesting. Um, but there's a variety of hair in um, your collection so far, is there not?
1: Yeah, so pretty much, um, and I, I kind of did this backwards, I should have taken multiple samples and sent them off. I sent some to you originally to dr meldrum and i sent some off to cindy dosen all that hair i sent him actually came from that way way in the back of that cubby hole that uh, so that's why i lean towards it being a bear it was a bear den at some time no doubt about it there was so much hair in there um you could tell something had been there for a while and um so that was what i sent i haven't sent any hair off from the actual pile itself off to anybody nor have I sent any hair from the, um, some of the huckleberry breaks and snaps that are, uh, that were still stemming from the ground, still growing, you know, and I think the largest one we measured, the, the, the sample of hair that we capped or took from that area was, um, over eight and a half feet off the ground on a huckleberry bowel that had been snapped off. There was a little bit of hair in there. I haven't sent those samples off to anybody. I've not personally looked on, at them under a microscope. I have them all in, uh, saved and I still have loads of stuff to go through. So yeah, I mean, it's come back bear, but I'm not even slightly surprised about that. Uh, yeah, that there's definitely bears and deer and raccoons, every other known animal traversing this area. That was definitely a bear den, uh, of some sorts at some time. Um, so, but I do believe uh, Sasquatch either took it over or moved in and utilized the area itself.
0: Yeah, it actually supports the hypothesis that Sasquatches may uh, repurpose bear dens for their own use. Um, but clearly, I mean, for, you know, a skeptic would say, oh, there's a bear, bear hair. That's a bear den. This isn't a Sasquatch-related thing at all. Well, th- then you have a lot of explaining to do about the four footprints that were recovered from the actual site as well as the handprint that was found literally right there in the tailings of that den and the two handprints uh, that uh, James initially discovered, what, 60 yards away at the most? At the most, yeah. Yeah, yes. A Sasquatch was involved. Um, What its involvement was remains a question, of course. But, you know, that's why we're here is to try to get to the bottom of some of these interesting questions. Absolutely,
2: yeah. Yeah, I'm in contact with Dave, who does the sound analysis for the Olympic project and he told me, he usually sends me stuff, and I, I haven't heard the news stuff, but he said that you got some really great sounds captured.
1: Do you got any of those available? I do, and uh, hopefully we can play them here in a second. I'll tell you, David Ellis really has helped me out uh, I, you know, with, with the audio. I've been recording the audio. The majority of this has been me going out there a couple hundred yards away, placing audio every couple of days, and then picking it back up, You know, replacing SD cards. I did that for um, over two months. And, um, I also put out a long-term unit that records for up to 25 days, and I did capture 25 to 26 days. That audio I've yet to go through. I've been too busy, so I don't know what's on there. This audio that, uh, I have available and will play was captured from February, uh, but uh, mainly March and February of this year. And, um, in I started recording, you know, pretty much the day of the event. And then afterwards, Todd Hale, was out with me uh, many, many times out in this area, recording, spending the night out there, camping in these areas. And he captured some interesting stuff too. So this is kind of a collage of just some of the material we have from audio, uh, from the audio capturing uh, process that we partook in. And with, uh, I got to give huge props to David Ellsworth, uh kind of going through this and helping me uh, get through all this audio. We're talking about hours and hours and hours of audio and so David Ellis, he's, he's the man. I got to thank him so much. Yeah, thank goodness he likes doing it, you know. Yeah, he's a freak. Yeah, total. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, so it's, you have the 24-7 recording project. Like, you are out there, there. There are recorders out there recording every minute of the day for, uh, during this time window where these nests were discovered and the handprints and the footprints and all that jazz. So let's listen to the first sample, and then we can uh, comment on that. Yeah, that's a cool one. That's a cool one. I like that one. I, it has this sort of whoop, like a, the rising pitch that uh,
1: the whoops often have. Sound legit to me. Very similar to the uh, whoop I heard before we made our way out. Todd and made our way out to the ravine. Very similar. This was recorded um, later on, though, in February. And one um, other thing, most of these sound recordings you're going to hear, the few that we play, are looped either five times or three times for the most part. And uh, just to keep that in mind, so when people are listening to it and they hear whoop, whoop, or whatever we play, that it, it is looped, it was just a single whoop captured.
0: Okay, so it's just looped a number of times. That's super interesting. And yeah, and uh, I've heard things like that out in the woods, man. I think that's a Sasquatch right there. Yeah. Um, very cool. Let's see, what, what else do we have here? Let's try this one. Oh man, Power Strike is right. Holy smokes, that's a, a, a strong it almost sounds like a vocalization with all the reverb and stuff. That's
2: what I thought, but I'm going run those things through the spectrogram so you, you can usually tell between a vocal or but yeah, I would I assume that was a power, I mean a uh, vocalization.
1: Yeah, when I was listening to it originally I thought the same but when you look at it a, on a, a spectrogram like Sonic Visualizer, it's got that peak where it just shoots straight up and it's uh, it compares it matches almost perfectly a really strong percussive sound on wood or something like that
0: yeah that's a good example of when you have to go with the data that's in front of you instead of your own interpretation of the data because on sonic visualizer and similar programs you can actually visually see the differences between vocalizations and things like knocks and bangs and stuff like that hmm very interesting. And, and and that was recorded, uh, did, are, is a date on there? or When was that, when was that one recorded, Shane? Do you know? Uh, I believe that was February 26th. 26th, okay. Oh, yeah, that's interesting too. Power Strike, um, that's, God, I, don't, I don't know if that was the day I was there or was within a couple of days of when I was there. But when I was walking out of the area and you guys were ahead of me, I was basically alone back there, and I heard knocks. I heard knocks in that area that same day during the day. Uh, so that, that was recorded right around that same time period, too. Okay, well, what, let's, let's try this one here, then.
2: that is one of those ones where there's nothing else. It's not a coyote. It's not a bird owl.
0: I mean, that's a Sasquatch hundred percent. Yeah. Do you think it's one animal or is that more than
1: one? Cause there's three pitches in there. Sounds like two, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what we gathered possibly two. Uh, David Ellis actually found this in my, in one of my recordings and he, he kind of has categories for different recordings. And you got your whoops and your power, knocks or knocks your, and he always labels them something. He calls that one. He puts that in his singing, not that Sasquatch is singing, but it's got like those pitches and stuff to it, and it's just very intriguing. Uh, what else could that be? I don't know, but I have to agree with you, Bobo.
0: <laughs> now, now, the title on, on, on the, the file I'm looking at says Interesting and Familiar Scream. Why is that word familiar in there?
1: The word familiar is because uh, not only has David Ellis recorded similar, similar audio from the field, He's been sent, you know, David Ellis uh, gets sent a ton of audio from around the country from different investigators, researchers, enthusiasts. And so he's compiled uh, stuff like this. And, he, you know, it's familiar because it's very reminiscent of some other recordings that he has in his uh, audio library.
0: Ah, uh, okay, okay. I was wondering if he was starting to recognize individual sasquatches from the area because B Mills, is, um, out in Ohio, has started to do that as well. She thinks she might be able to, be able to discern the difference between individual
1: sasquatches by their vocalizations sometimes. Yeah, I know David's working on that. Um, you know, th- in this particular area, it's you get audio recordings at certain times of the year, at least what we can find. So we haven't got any necessarily any. Um, we haven't figured out if any of them are the same individuals or not yet. We haven't got to like what Bo Mills is doing yet. Right, right. Yeah, there's plenty of
0: time for that. Well, let's, let's give a listen to another vocalization and see what we think about that one. How about this one right here? <laughs> that's a good one. That one's my favorite so far. Yeah, that's my favorite one. Holy smokes! Like those first two knocks are big. Yeah, and then of course the two response ones clearly are further away, um, and followed by that. Ooh, the, oh my gosh, that's a Sasquatch,
1: man! That's pretty awesome.
2: Yeah, I think that's my favorite one. There's another good one like that too.
1: There's one here. There's one here that Todd Hale uh, recorded. Todd Hill recorded this, uh, this next one I think we'll play.
0: The long
2: one those are the kind where they're really showing off their lung capacity and you can rule out coyote because they hit it they go so long you can rule out a lot of other options that on the shorter vocalizations sometimes you're not sure about because it's the duration but that one just is yeah there, there's nothing else that is
1: yeah that was a great recording by todd hale and, and those um, two screams or yells are back to back and vocalizing for about 20 seconds i, I thought that was Pretty dang awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty that's a really really good recording and you know uh, and of course
0: we three have, have been out in the woods a whole lot we've heard sasquatches vocalize with our own ears and they sound so different with your own ears so we're in a way we're, we're kind of um at a, as a at a disadvantage here because we're only hearing the recording and we all know that recordings sound dramatically different and actually less dramatic than the actual sounds in the
1: air as you hear them with your own ears and even then these are excellent recordings so we can play something large in the brush. That's what we labeled it. And the reason I like this one uh, is because this was a just a few days like just a day later, um, when Todd and I were out in this area, I had placed a recorder a couple hundred yards away from the this new find. And uh I, I'd kind of buried my it's a TASCAM DRO5. I'd kind of buried it in some on a on a log under some debris. And uh, I don't know if the audio is going to do it justice, but something very large comes through this area. And in this area where I place it, there's a lot of fallen trees and limbs. Uh, there's a pile of stuff here and there. And something enormous comes through this area and is stomping around. Uh, at least that's my, my impression, both visually looking at it and listening to it, something large coming through this area. Originally, when I was listening to this um, audio we're about to play, it sounded like an elephant coming through the woods and i don't know what else can make it and it was made about 2:30 2:40 in the morning whatever came through this area about that time and it hung around for a while this is just a small snippet of some of the larger um some of the larger uh, percussive sounds and stuff that was going on i just i find it very interesting it was very large
0: Hear the thumping now. It, I don't know if that thumping is the foot hitting the ground or if it's uh thumping because uh it's like making the log that the recorder on shake a little bit or something, but clearly there's thumping, there's something large going through the brush here. That's really cool,
1: that's really cool. Very close to my recorder, so it's was, it was fairly close. And I, I my, my gut feeling, just my feeling on this was that it probably knew my recorder was in this area, uh, didn't mess with it though. I have other recordings with stuff messing with, messing with my recorder. This was really, it was in such, close, such a close time frame to us being, uh, discovering this new nest or this new find, and, and then this happened. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a kind of a long night. There was a lot of other stuff going on, but I really liked that one.
0: All right, Shane, why don't you show us uh, one more here, if show is the right word for something that we put in our ears.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like to play vocalize. Uh, this one's labeled vocalizations and replies. And basically, what you're going to hear is it starts out with two roars, and um, then you get a response, and it's rather high-pitched. As David told me, there's a pattern to the response vocals. And so, uh, really, uh, really dig this one as well. All right, cool. Let's give it a listen then.
0: something holy smokes that might that would wake you up in a puddle of your own piss in the middle of the night holy smokes yeah dude it doesn't get any squatchier than that yeah that's a really really good one because you get the low pitch stuff and the high pitch stuff of course which shows a, a variation in sasquatch vocalizations in general they don't always make one noise they probably make as many noises as we do after all
2: right yeah, that was awesome and i was taking over just this winter shane
1: yeah, that was uh, that was for March, March of this year. God, so just
2: uh, it, it'll be really interesting to see. I like watching those patterns with the vocalizations around the time of year, you know, the different seasons, how you get the different calls. It'll be interesting to see when we get more data and analysis over the coming up years
0: and decades, how much we'll learn from w- what these calls all mean. Oh, and if there's any pattern to them as well, um, cause they, they, they have to find each other somehow because there's so few of them and the way they, just the way they live. They're not, I don't think they're standing next to each other all the time. They, they have to find each other. So it'd be interesting to see, like, maybe this is an active time of year. And I don't know, perhaps June and July won't be, you know, so if you continue this project of recording all the time, every day of the year, uh, you'll, well, it's a couple years down the road, but you'll have enough data to determine things like that
1: yeah yeah I completely agree, and that's that's you know that's what it's all about uh, and and fortunately, we have access to this unique area, and it's an area con- consistent and constant area of uh re- repeatability as far as studying this area and we're in and out all the time, and I think uh you know obviously it's very, very important to keep about your business, keep doing what you're doing, stay diligent and uh, see what you can learn, because uh, there's a lot of known animals out there, and I don't know every sound they can make. I don't know all of their sign, uh, though I'm very familiar with a lot of it. There's always something you can learn, and it doesn't have to be directly associated with Sasquatch, just learning the area that you're working, knowing all the ins and outs of all the known animals and the different seasons and the, how things grow and die back. And, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool project and uh, something I'm very, very excited about and looking forward to see what we can come up with down the road. Yeah, this is definitely a long-term project, but you know, what you guys
0: need more than anything is a battery sponsorship.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've spent i uh, I'm not going to go into that number. Uh, yeah. I think my, I think my wife will probably end up listening to this show. So I'm definitely just going to say, yeah, it's, it's a small chunk.
0: Yeah. I'm sure it's free. Then if your wife's listening, um, I, 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 they pay you to do it. Yeah. You guys are sponsoring. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. The NABC, the North American Bigfoot Center, is sponsoring. You know. Oh, speaking of which, by the way, uh, when I was out with you, just so people will 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 know that you can see some of this stuff, um, we're, I'm in the middle of developing some um, new displays about the nest site. Basically, you know, uh, you were kind enough, and Derek was kind enough to allow me to take some of the sa- take some samples of not only the nesting material, and I've got that forty gallon paper bag in my garage, I have yet to go through as well, looking for hair samples, but also a lot of the the broken huckleberry branches as well. So um, there's a lot of interesting uh, artifacts, I guess, that were recovered at the nest site. And I do have plans down the road here to put together some sort of uh, nest site uh, display at the museum. So that's something that people can look forward to seeing maybe at the end of summer or something like that.
1: Oh, fantastic. And I, uh, I may have a few more things you could add into your, that little display. So we'll definitely be talking. Fantastic. Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. So what's next? What's, ne- what's next for the Olympic project and the nest site or I- what else do you have
1: going on here? Uh, just that right now, we're continu- continuing to monitor the area. Um, we all have, like I said, day jobs, uh, we are all pretty busy with family life stuff. So it's just about getting out there as much as we possibly can monitoring the area. And, um, you know, I know originally when we came across this new nest find, um, and we brought Derek out there, you know, it was kind of a funny thing because he, uh, you know, we, you kind of felt slightly guilty for disturbing something, all the work that went into building or or at least collecting that material, all the work, it it had to be tremendous. It had to be time-consuming, even for a Sasquatch. And you kind of felt guilty for disturbing it, because if it was making a nest, what was that nest going to be for, Uh, you know, the purpose and all that? So we kind of felt guilty a little bit, uh, knowing, though, that we're going to plug forward and continue. We've already disturbed it, so I hope down the road that we, we do come across more nests. And we're still going to look, especially for ones that have been vacated, you know, and, and collect this stuff there and just continue to learn what we can. Hopefully, they've already been vacated. Um, one, I don't know if I want to run into a Sasquatch while it's making something like that because, you know, that could be, you know, it's like walking in on a maybe possibly a, a mama bear and her cub, probably a bad scenario. So, uh, and then, you know, I just don't like to disturb that uh, sort of, you know, just the things that go through your mind and, and whatnot. But uh, hopefully, we can find more nests down the road. Uh, we're going to continue to to plug away in this area. Uh, obviously, we've been at it for quite a few years, and we got a long way to go. I think we're just uh, at the you know the tip of the iceberg here with what we're learning and the the patterns we're starting to develop. So that's what we're we're going to be up to. Uh, definitely doing the, the audio recordings, doing the the tracking, the surveying. We're going to bring in a couple other people. We're going to totally survey this area properly and really get a fix on what's going on. And uh, I think we're we're ahead of the game there in a lot of aspects. And then, of course, we got other projects going on. Um, a few other witnesses we're working with, but our foot, main focus right now is this nest. Uh, the whole nest experience, the whole nest find, and especially with the time frame that we've been getting, given in certain areas, we got to utilize our time in these areas uh, as best as we can and um, get hopefully get to the bottom of this and maybe you know uh, maybe get some really even more interesting things. I don't know. Um, I always, I'm very, very much an optimist when it comes to this subject matter. I think there's new things being found daily. I think there's uh, a lot of potential out there, uh, but you know, if you're not out there, uh, you're not going to, you're not going to find anything. And so uh, that's, you know, that's kind of what we're doing. And that's, I think our focus is the, the, the nest area. And, and uh, Cliff, I know you'll be involved And Bobo. Hope we will get you back out here sometime. It's been a while, man. I know, dude.
2: I want to get there so bad. Especially with these gas prices down,
0: I want to do, get on the road and I want to get some loot. Well, you know, uh, I, I I appreciate you guys roping me in on anything that's found up there. You know, it's just a you know three or so hour drive um, from my spot to yours. I'll take that drive at any time, day or not, day or night, no matter my obligation, as is evident by me bailing in the middle of a podcast. Um, I just appreciate being involved in it any way I can. If there's anything I can do to help, do not hesitate
1: to call. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you're, uh, you're on speed dial as a few others are, but you, yeah, yeah. R- we were really happy. You made it out of your clip and um, brought your, your casting material because we were running way low and you brought a gazillion gallons of uh, yeah. <laughs> tons of uh, casting material. So that was, that was awesome. And just having your, your, your expertise and insights and, uh, insight and uh, the funny little doodads you bring like the uh, medical wrap. I would never seen that before to cast something on a slope. That was, that was, um that was unique. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: That was like one of those, uh, improvisatory, I guess, uh, splints that you get in field medical, um, uh, kits. You know, if you have to set somebody's broken arm, they have these, these, uh, these, I don't even know what to call it. I mean, I, um, you can buy them on on Amazon even, but uh, there's essentially like a, a improvised splint that is maybe about three or four inches tall. It, it rolls up like a piece of paper kind of, um, and uh, you can put it on, on, in like an emergency situation, put it on somebody's arm to kind of hold it still until you can get them to a better medical facility. It works great for a, uh, making a dam. And with, without those things, without that bendy sort of wall that, uh, that I was given, uh, I, I couldn't have cast several of those prints. Like the handprints were on a slope that was at least 45 degrees, maybe more. And I, I would not have been able to cast those at all um, because you couldn't build a, a, an earthen dam and um those venetian blind sort of things wouldn't have worked at all it was it was because of those things that i actually managed to uh cast the handprint
1: yeah that was fantastic and just you you thinking about that and bring along with you um uh, man like i said uh, now we have you know definitely one really solid hand impression uh that uh, just blows my mind and uh, yeah thanks for bringing that material and we'll definitely like i said be in touch down the road here uh both with uh, in regards to some stuff maybe i can share with the museum and uh, further updates on um, this ongoing study. And we'd love to have you back on with anything new that you guys discover that you'd be willing to speak about.
0: Because I know at first I wasn't, I was encouraged not to speak about it and I didn't. I didn't even tell Bobo. And when I'm not telling Bobo stuff, you know it's top secret, man.
2: Yeah, it was rad, man. Thanks for, thanks for sharing.
1: I love hearing new Squatch recordings. Right on. Glad you guys, glad you enjoyed him, Bobo. And um, um, I got plenty more. <laughs> That's just a snippet. Right on. Well, we'll have you back for sure. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care. Okay, man. Have a good one, brother. Bye.
0: Thank you, Shane. All right, Bobes. how was that, man? Update on the Olympic Project. Brand new stuff and from 2020. Amazing recordings and also fantastic physical evidence in the form of footprints, handprints, hair samples, broken branches, uh, tons of photographs, even video of the site. There's a lot of exciting stuff coming out of the Olympic Project these days.
2: There aren't those guys in the North American It Conservancy. Those are the, the t- two top teams as far as
0: I know about. Yeah, yeah. As far as groups go, they're doing uh, some amazing work, both of them. All right, Bobs, you want to take us out? For all those listening, thanks for tuning
2: in. If you like what you hear, hit share. Give us a thumbs up online and let people know about it. So until next time, thank you and keep it squatchy.